everybody. Welcome back to the Brando and Joe podcast. Our guest today is uh, Dr. Harold Goldstein. He received his PhD in psychology from the University of Maryland, uh, is the owner of Siena Consulting, and is currently a professor at Brute College. Welcome, Harold. Thanks for joining us today. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I think the last time we uh, actually got to talk like face-to-face was at PSYOP, which is kind of crazy because now I see things popping up about like the next PSYOP in Chicago, like already happening. <laughs> Two good cities, though, Boston and Chicago. Definitely. For our first PSYOPs, Brandon, it's, it's kind of fun. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's been great. <laughs> absolutely. I think, you know, the cool thing about PSYOP is it really is where the field kind of comes to life that way. You know, it's one thing you're in a program, suddenly you go to PSYOP and it's like, oh, here's another four or 5,000 people all interested in, world. in this like, field. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. I agree. And we're not, are we, are we divulging that, that the first time I met you two was in a bar at PSYOP? Or should we <laughs> pretend we were in a session and that's where we met? I would say all the fun things happen at a bar at PSYOP. It's like, that's true. it's that's where true. the magic happens at PSYOP. Um, I think they even like encourage maybe not encourage like the drinking, but encourage like the socializing networking aspect at bars, like after all the sessions happen. You're absolutely right about that. Absolutely. I mean, the net, the networking, you know, not in a, not in a way that sometimes people find networking distasteful instead in that positive, you know, get to meet people, chat, talk, and uh, suddenly it becomes a big part of your life, which is great. You know? Yeah. And and it's true. Like, we, Harold, you and I, when we spoke at PSYOP, I would say only half the time we spoke about like actual IO stuff. And then the other half, we were just talking about regular conversational stuff. So that's kind of like to highlight the differences in networking at something like PSYOP versus any other like actual networking event. I, I totally agree. It kind of just happens, right? That kind of interaction. And suddenly you're like, oh, these are good people. I like chatting with them. Somebody else might call that networking, but it's really just meeting other good people that are interested in things that are similar to you, you know? So absolutely. And then you agree to come on podcasts. (laughs) I do. I do. Uh, The bar might've influenced that a little bit, but yes, absolutely. (laughs) It's a good point about networking though, because I know a lot of IO psych students come from that like psych background. And I know personally, I came from a psych background. I never really had to like network before. Like you kind of just get your degree in psych, then you go to like clinical or school and that's like the regular route and like not much networking occurs. So it's kind of like a skill you have to learn. But like you said, it's it's more just casual conversation that turns into like a good relationship. I, I totally agree. And that's a great point. I mean, when you think about it, you're in these psych classes, maybe as an undergrad and you meet other people interested in psych, you know, and you kind of form relationships with them, maybe with some of your professors, you know, and it kind of just happens organically that way. And really the same thing happens here. You come into this program, right? You all go into your program. People come in here to Baruch um, and they almost want it that structured, you know, like they're used to it being structured, right? You kind of, these are the things you need to do, but it's really all these other things that end up making your career, you know, and, and making it fun, like to be in this field, right? Is all these other people you meet and opportunities that open up and things you get to do together with people. It's, it's, yeah, it's what makes it, at looking back at least, it's what makes it worthwhile, you know? Yeah, like I, I was just sitting yesterday at the orientation for Hofstra's for our incoming first years. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. I've been kind of getting the first years ready. And this isn't what our topic for this episode is, but I just think it's something <laughs> to highlight. 
uh, I've been getting the first years ready for like coming into the program and, but trying to explain to them that what you get out of your program, like the coursework is going to be important. Learning the knowledge is going to be important, but like how much you like dive into the actual content, dive into the IO world is going to be where you get your value from. And like, I feel like Harold, you just highlighted that right there. Like you're going to come in and you're going to find your value in the things that you're doing outside of your program. You're, you're so right. I mean, you're so right. I mean, Whenever our class comes in, I'm kind of like, you know, this isn't a competition. Go meet the people from the other schools. You know, there's Columbia, there's NYU, there's Hofstra, there's Montclair. You know, that's the New York area, at least. And if there is no competition here, this is where you meet other people that you're going to work with. Um, totally agree with you. Definitely. Yeah. The more IOs you meet and the more IOs you can kind of elevate to that like higher positions, like certain companies, the better. Because we always talk about how it's like a small niche field, but uh, there's so many people in it. And the more people you know, and like that networking possibility is really what the value of these program brings. And it's kind of what brought us to you, which is like even cooler. Because from what we heard is you have such a big spot in this IO field, the research you did, being a professor and, and uh, having your consulting company. And kind of what we, what we wanted to highlight this episode is your work with the, the NFL, which we kind of like heard briefly about. Um, but would you be able to kind of like broadly do an overview of like some of the stuff you did with them? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it built off of other work. Um, so, you know, we didn't come in and say, let's go try and do this in sports. Uh, so Ken Yusko, who's, who's my business partner and publishing partner over the years, uh, along with Charles Sherbaum, who's a couple couple doors down, and Elliot Larson, who's right here. Um, you know, we didn't go into this with that idea of trying to do this in sports. We all watch sports, you know, since we were little kids. Uh, but we worked in areas around selection systems, building assessment systems, um, doing that in regular work organizations or in public safety. Um, and... Uh, also getting involved in legal cases around that, um, you know, as expert witnesses and trying to go into consent decrees and build new systems that are valid, but don't discriminate and are fair. The NFL came to us and said, well, can't you do that? Can't you do what you've done at these other companies with professional athletes? And that was kind of how we got in there. Um, so it is, it's interesting that you know, if somebody had offered right off the bat for us to go do this in sports, we certainly would have done that. But we really, you know, spent 20 years doing that outside of sports. And they kind of just said, hey, you know, we saw what you've done. Would it be applicable here? And it was a, it was a really good question. Would it would the things we do to measure the psychological capabilities for success, would they work uh, in a sports context? It was a, it was a really good question. You know, Harold, it's kind of funny, like you say that when the NFL comes knocking, like you've got to answer <laughs> like that's right. that's so that's like super amazing that like you must have been doing the type of work that gets you recognized by the NFL, which obviously you were. So when you kind of like go into that a little more in depth, when you looked at how those like psychological assessments were working and you applied it to the NFL, what was the outcome that you saw? Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, we got lucky somewhat. Um, we had done a lot of work, particularly around in measuring intelligence in a way that doesn't show a lot of uh, race or gender differences. And we had done that in these legal cases. And a civil rights lawyer named Cyrus Mary had been involved in a lot of those cases. Uh, he had hired us as an expert witness. He had also done a lot of work with the NFL. 
Um, and he was the one that helped spearhead, along with Johnny Cochran, the Rooney Rule, which was an attempt to try and diversify hiring coaches. Um, that, and he was the one who said, hey, you know, these guys have built these intelligence tests that actually predict but are fair to individuals. Maybe we could do that at the NFL. The NFL had had a long history of using the Wonderlick, which was a different type of intelligence test. And Cyrus Mary, um, you know, felt like maybe we could expand on the kinds of intelligence constructs or aspects of intelligence that we could measure that would be very related to the job uh, when it comes to playing football. Um, and so that was why we went in there to do that. Uh, once we got there and, you know, we kind of did a job analysis and that was with GMs and, you know, John Elway and Ernie Accorsi and some of these kinds of people talking about what it took to be successful. We were very focused on intelligence domains, but they kept saying, well, we also need all these quote unquote non-cognitive things like resilience, mental toughness, uh, team orientation, leadership. And so we ended up building a full battery um, because the job analysis kind of demanded it um, to try and capture it. So we've got kind of a test that measures the intellectual capabilities, but also things like temperament and personality that would, uh, you know, aim at being successful in the NFL. So that was kind of how we got started uh, in terms of working with it. So now do these assessments have to be like altered at all? Cause I know like when we're usually working with employees, is it different than when you work with professional athletes or is it kind of just standardized in a way? Yeah, it's a great point. We used a mixture. So we used some of the foundational tests that we had used that we knew showed validity in other settings, but then we altered them and then added additional elements that were more focused on what the NFL would be looking for from a player. Um, you know, and it, it really like the job analysis really made the sport come to life. So we got opportunities to watch them in training camp, watch what they were doing during a game, um, and we were converting those into intellectual capabilities and personality characteristics by watching it with that lens. Um, and then what we did is we went to some of our foundational tests and adapted them to that situation. Um, and, you know, in, in hopes that it would show validity, which, you know, we, you know, the other beauty of working with the NFL is they were very interested in helping us collect validation information. Um, so they, uh, they were, they've been a wonderful partner from that standpoint. So they got the teams to make confidential ratings on player performance, which is kind of similar to like supervisors making ratings to see if we would validly predict that. Um, they've been incredible at getting us on field performance in terms of how the players play. Uh, and if you know anything about the NFL, there's a lot of fanatics out there, uh, that also create databases on performance. Uh, including fantasy football leagues. So there's just, you know, the, the beauty of the project was the sheer amount of criterion data or performance data that we could aim our test scores at. Um, and and that's, that's made it such a rich study uh, when it comes to a validation study, probably the biggest validation study we've ever done from that standpoint. 
first thing that I have to say is just from an observational research standpoint, Harold, I'm insanely jealous that you got to watch football. <laughs> but then on the other end, like when you're talking about all of that data that you're collecting and you're using it from like a validation standpoint, I would have to think that like we've talked about this a lot. The more data you get, the easier it is to find more validity. So how how much did that data help strengthen like the testing that you were doing and how many like refinements did you have to make due to like the constant incoming flux of data? Absolutely. It's a, it's a great, it's a great point uh, in terms of how to look at it. So we, first of all, it made us conceptualize human capability into at least three main domains for this job. So the first thing that we left out the first couple of years, because we just didn't think of it was the physical capability. So we acknowledge that the physical capability is kind of like you've got to have that to even get on the field. But then we were looking for relationships without capturing that in the model. Once we added uh, data that captured their physical talent and then started to combine it with the psychological, that's where we really saw it predict. So for us, you know, we, you know, they wanted to learn from us, but we were really learning from them the things that we should have been doing. Like you've got to look at these things in in interaction and see how they predict. The, the other thing is, you know, and you, you kind of bring it up with your question, which is with that many, with that much outcome data, you got to correlate with something. So we, we needed to say to ourselves, well, we've got to correlate with things that are important. Um, and it made us take the data and conceptualize it the way the GMs would, you know, meaning they want to see, you know, the likelihood of success if they used our data. And we also needed to talk to the GMs about using our data as just one piece of information combined with all this other information that they have. Um, and so that taught us a lot about translating kind of our, our kind of rigorous expectancy tables into ones that the GMs would understand the level of risk in picking somebody who didn't do well on our test versus picking people who did do well on our test. Um, and so, again, I think that helped us a lot in trying to translate our data into something meaningful for for the general managers, definitely. This The data that you work with, um, it's just a question that came up with your answer. Could it be like translated to, you think like college football, like a different, something that might be within the same sport, but that's in the same, like a different sort of league and then seeing their metrics for success and then drafts. Cause I mean, I, I believe uh, that they have like certain metrics they use when they're looking at like draft prospects and stuff like that. But is there any similarities in those two? Sections? Yeah, absolutely. So what, one of the pluses of working with the NFL, because they are so such a primary force in sports is it drew interest from other places. So, you know, we got to present at like MIT's analytics conference from that, we get a call from certain colleges that wanted to use versions of what we were doing. Um, and so we've spent at least six years in one particular college testing all of their sports teams, which also allows us to look at gender differences, uh, looking at how the volleyball players do compared to how the basketball players compared to the football players. Um, so that has been, you know, a great way of seeing how well the techniques we were using with NFL could adapt to the college situation. Uh, another plus of the college situation is they've also got to do well enough academically to stay on the field, right? And they're also looking at their development over time. So the colleges that we've worked with have gotten us great criteria data around that so that we could see how our test was able to predict 
their learning, their development, how well they're doing academically, their academic habits. So that's been amazing. Um, the other main league that we've gotten some work in that's been fun is trying to translate these things over to the NBA um, and kind of do the same kind of characteristics predict there uh, like they do in the NFL. And so that's also been a, a learning experience and, and we've seen some real positive outcomes from that as well. So it's definitely expanding. Um, we're hoping someday maybe the Premier League. Uh, we've always thought that maybe it would translate to other sports like, like soccer or football, as they call it. Um, so that, that would be another fun place to try and apply these things. Definitely. Yeah, I'm personally am a tennis player, and I would be very interested to see like the outcomes of tennis players on that because that's such a wide range of players from like level, like from the first ranking in the world all the way to the thousandth. And to like see the differences and how people like would assess themselves from like one all the way to a thousand could be crazy. That's a great, that's a great point. And the other thing is, look, and you would know it too from this is there's into more individual sports versus ones that are more team. Um, the other thing we've learned in looking at some of this is there's sports that are a lot more fluid and require different types of intelligence than sports that are more kind of discrete events. So it, it's really um, you know, sometimes people say, you know, does this sports stuff apply back to organizations? But this notion of trying to really understand people and understand performance and all these domains and how they mix together. Um, again, we've learned as much from this that we take back to our regular kind of consulting as, uh, as hopefully they've learned from us. Yeah. And you actually made a point there and I'd like to actually get your insight on this, Harold. So I was talking with like a coworker of mine the other day about like the mentality of an athlete and when they're, when they are like translating that mentality over to a work environment. And I've seen like, just from like a visual stance that I've seen people kind of who have had that history and like playing a sport at a very high level also translate those types of like work ethics and skills over to a working profession. Is that something that you could potentially see with like the types of assessments that you're doing too? Yeah, I, I think it's such a great point. I do think, you know, look, the, the career of an athlete's usually pretty short. So trying to follow them over time into where else they go and how successful they are, let alone the college population and trying, since most of them won't play professional sports mm -hmm. and watching where they go and whether those same test scores that we have on these people, you know, predict their success as a financial advisor or working in marketing or working in IT, you know, um, I think that would be a, a great study to do uh, because I do think that they're applicable. Um, you know, some things stand out more than others, like mental toughness, resilience, grit, uh, certainly the Duckworth, you know, work that's been done around grit, you know, certainly carries over to work organizations. But I, I think all of the factors, a lot of them are going to carry over to work organizations, definitely. I kind of want to uh, see more of this work now. You get a lot of stuff when you start like publishing different uh, articles. I could see the grin on Brandon's face too. We watch sports all the time to see that like an actual IO can have such a large part in just sport organization. It's like inspiring, but it's also just really awesome. <laughs> we love yeah. to see it. Uh, the data that you work with must be just immense then. Like, is there a certain way that you organize it and or collect it or like certain metrics that you use to just visually see it it is 
it's grown on us exponentially. Um, you know, it's just incredible the size of the data set and how it keeps growing. Um, you know, not my primary of ex area of expertise is, to, is how to handle databases. So we're, we're playing with a lot of different things right now. Um, the other thing is we, we do, you know, much as a lot of people in selection are starting to do a lot of work with people around AI and ML and modeling of the data. Um, what's nice is a lot of those people have a lot of skills around database management. So by kind of uh, working in that interdisciplinary way with some people around those topics, I think it'll help us a lot on how we should be managing our data on our side of things. Um, the other thing I notice is that a lot of these sports organizations are building incredibly large databases, right, to be able to do analytics. Um, and so they're very helpful to us as well. Um, you know, the relationships you end up building with these individuals are really positive that way. And they kind of share what they're doing. We share what we're doing. Um, and that collaborative approach, I think, helps us a lot with our data, definitely. Yeah, and like talking about sports teams, just just to talk sports for a second, but like thinking about the amount of data that these sports teams are collecting, it really is changing. Like it started, I feel like with the Oakland A's and the Moneyball movie that a lot of people have seen, but just like how they were like taking data and using it to make those types of decisions really like started this trend. And even if you go to basketball and look at like the Houston Rockets and the way that they played, uh, I believe it was like 2015, 2016 with like James Harden and the three point shot, that, that type of stuff really changed how like people would look at sports from more than just the actual like physical gifts, the science behind it too. And like your research is supporting that. Oh, you're, you're absolutely right. And so, and look, the money ball thing was moving to the NFL, right? I mean, the, the concept of, of analytics was moving to the NFL after baseball. So when we got there, some of the teams we were talking to had somebody who knew how to do Excel and they were plugging data in. And within, you know, we've only been working with the league probably what, 11, 12 years at this point, the advance is unbelievable. I mean, the amount that the teams have changed and hired statisticians and um, they can really conceptualize how to use the data. And you have great discussions with them one-on-one -on -one because, you know, while they don't want to share across teams, so it is, a, it is kind of an odd situation that way, they're willing to talk one-on-one -on -one with you about what they're doing, what they're seeing. Um, they have more realistic expectations. They know that not you're not going to, Every data point isn't going to be perfect, you know, so we always said that and we were worried that they weren't listening, but, but the, these people are really listening. Um, and so it's, it's a great conversation. We learned so much from talking to them about what they're seeing in the data. Um, even position differences within the NFL data was something that we were starting to look at, but we hadn't looked at much if you go back about five years. And then, you know, we really accelerated that because of discussions with the teams which of course makes sense in hindsight, you know, but definitely. Yeah. The data they can collect now is kind of crazy too. Like sometimes you'll see oh, something man. pop up on the screen and it's like, this team is like the first team. And then it's like some crazy stat they see in like 2016 with like six drop passes, but like nine completed. And you're like, how did they even come up with this like statistic? <laughs> or like, I'm a fan of the UFC and they're just the way they can like count punches within like the first round and like show like the different output on that. Um, I kind of want to know what's like what's going to happen in the next five years. Like, what else are we going to be able to see? And especially for like research like yours, like how is that going to elevate? You saw what NFL's yeah. doing now too on Amazon. Like right. they're doing the AI. I don't know if that was what you were about know. to say, Harold. But the NFL with AI, like they're doing like a live AI like broadcast every Thursday night now, which is crazy. 
it, it's amazing. I mean, the amount of data, let alone all that tracking data, the physiological data. Um, one of the groups we work with the most is out University of Nebraska, which has one, it's, I think it's in the top two when it comes to having performance, uh, a performance center that really looks at human performance. So they've got everything there, right? I mean, they are measuring every aspect of, of these humans that are playing sports for them uh, with cameras everywhere and motion and all of those, all that kind of data. And it's incredible to link all that together. You know, I mean, it's really that interdisciplinary connection that really gives you incredible insight into trying to understand human behavior. Yeah, the uh, at the University of Southern California, their like tennis uh -huh. courts are like, I, I'm sure everybody knows about it. It's crazy because they have um, these like cameras watching, they call the lines, but not only that, like the players who play, after the match get like a full recap report of their match of like all the shots they hit the speed like the average speed on if it was a forehand or a backhand like it's just like this real-time tracking is just so crazy and it's like just getting started yeah no you're right and usc is certainly one that's also toward the forefront of looking at those things i guess it's because the stakes seem so high i mean we all we always make the joke that the military and sports are the are the two places where people treat this stuff like it's so critical because they think it's life and death. And of course, we always say, of course, with the military, it is life <laughs> and death. With sports, it just feels that way, you know? And they really are willing to experiment. They're willing to try different things. Uh, it's all the stuff that we should probably do more in the corporate world as well, you know, is what it really comes down to. They have stuff, I mean, I guess it's not too similar. But like like software on like computers to like are you talking about like track like an employee's engagement with like the work they're doing is that like maybe the road we're seeing like how many clicks like how productive um what were who are we it's talking to brandon was about uh they can like measure an employee's like productivity it was some sort of like chip in their head maybe it wasn't on the podcast maybe i'm thinking of something <laughs> else but it was something crazy like that the way they could like track a person's productivity and put it in data like is that like a route we're going to see in the next 10 to 20 years or is that like are people going to push back and be like hold up like <laughs> that's too far I, I think it will i mean i think you're you're raising exactly where things are going to go i mean we're playing a lot right now we've spent the last couple of years integrating in eye tracking and that is something that we're hoping will be in the next version of the test next year we're not sure yet we're trying to kind of hammer out some of the details of it, but we are piloting it now. And that's just one piece of trying to track what the brain's doing, what the body's doing, right? So I think it's exciting where where we can head. And, and obviously there's ethical issues and that's kind of the things you need to negotiate and figure out. But, um, you know, those are things to figure out. It, it doesn't mean we shouldn't be looking at these things. You just want to do it in a way that's fair to the individual, helpful to the individual, you know, those kinds of things. Yeah, no, it, it's true. And like, you do raise a good point about um, like the ethical side of it, because like these tests, like we're trying to track so much information. And you said how the NFL has so much information, but you also have to make sure that like you're following the right path that you can to like compile all that and make sure that you're not making like a huge impact in the wrong way. So it, it's really like you're walk, walking like a tightrope walk sometimes, I'm sure, with like the data you're collecting and how you're utilizing it. Absolutely. And the, and the NFL, you know, we have a lot of discussions with the NFL, including internal people at the NFL, 
that are focused very heavily on wellness and the players and what's going to happen. And, um, you know, at, at, at last year's combine, a number of them came to experience what we were doing more. And then we had a lot of discussion afterward about how should we adjust this so it's fair to the player, to make them more comfortable, to allow them to show their capabilities. Um, and that roots back to the beginning of this project. I mean, back in 2012, when we were designing the test, the notion was people have a lot of strengths. Let's build a test that allows them to show that. And of course, I understand it also shows development areas, but that is the way the league has treated it. Um, they are the ones who, after we gave the test scores that they use for the draft, you know, Les Snead, who's, who's the general manager of the Rams, was the one who called me and said, all right, now I picked these nine guys. What did you learn about them that I can use to help them succeed? And it created a league-wide development report that goes out based on the test scores that every team now gets on their players so that they can use it to help the kid you know, achieve their dreams and be as good as they can be. So, it, you know, they, they were really looking for that kind of uh, assistance off of the test. And I'll, I'll have to say, we didn't think of it. They thought of it, you know, so, yeah. Uh, that makes me think about like, um, just, so I, in our program, we get the opportunity to do the Hogan. And uh, so we're doing that. And it like sounds similar to that almost. It's like a, a Hogan for athletes. <laughs> right. No, you're exactly right. And it's a chance to explore the person. The only thing is, you know, they also need you to make a call on how likely this person is to succeed. Mm -hmm. And the only thing, again, that we say to them is, hey, this is just one test, you know, one standardized assessment. Uh, so you can't use it only. You should use it in integration with other pieces of data. Uh, but you're exactly right. Yeah, you're exactly right. It, it kind of led into my, my next question. Do you ever receive any, like, pushback? Because I feel like every player would like to have data on them to see like where they can improve um, or like where they're doing great. But to your point, is it the point like where, oh, we're not going to pick this player because of this standardized test. And then they kind of find out about that. They're like, wait, but like just because of what this person said and like this data, like who cares about data? Like I'm a good player. Is there right. any like sort of consequence of that? I mean, we're we're very good with talking to the teams and presenting to the teams, you know, at the owners meetings and at various meetings on that, the data is one piece of data, you know, and it allow you to have some insights and you should combine it with other kinds of data to make your decisions. Um, the other thing is we have, we measure a lot of things. And so we always say, look, you know, it doesn't mean you're going to be perfect at all of this. It's a question of trying to highlight strengths and making sure that the team can find ways to help you in areas you want to develop, you know, from that standpoint. So, you know, there's a lot of work done around that. So people understand that the data shouldn't be misused, that it should just be one other piece of information to use. So at this point, um, that's been successful as a way forward. Joe and I both are like jumping at all of this talk about sports because like we love IO and the fact that we're getting to do this on a podcast is fantastic. Um, I have, I do have a, one more question about these assessments so that we can move on from this topic. Um, but I was just wondering, like specifically in a sport like the NFL, because um, NBA, MLS are a little different when it comes to like how physical they are. Um, like on the NFL side, in terms of like injuries or like people having to like deal with stuff like that, what is in the test that kind of can 
deal with that because that's like that is something that is all very constant in the NFL for sure. Yeah. First of all, it's all it's kind of one of those holy grails, really, to be able to predict anything around injury. Mm-hmm. Um, our test does correlate with it. Uh, it's very light, but it does significantly correlate with the likelihood of the injury, mostly because of some of the things we're measuring, like, are you someone who's prepared? Mm-hmm. Are you someone who can deal with stress? You know, those kinds of things. Um, so I think it's, I, you know, it's, it's certainly a critical thing is the injury aspect of things, but injuries are so hard to predict yeah. that there's probably a lot of other physical data you could get on somebody that is probably more predictive than psychological, but psychological is a component, but that's kind of the nature of this whole thing. Meaning, look, you know, Brandon, if you ace the test, you still might not be starting for an NFL team because maybe the physical capability isn't there. Same with me. Right. So it's an issue where the physical is so critical, you know, that then, and the psychological is incremental. And, you know, a couple of years ago, we were talking, we gave a talk at Google about what we had learned from the NFL that's applicable there. And we, we kind of said, you know what, you've probably got to have a certain level of smarts to come into Google, but who's, what's going to differentiate how well you'll do contributing to that company, probably all these other psychological capabilities, right? And it's kind of a, it's a good analogy, I think, for this, right? Which is that the physical's dominant, but you know, the psychological adds incremental prediction. Uh, and that's kind of a way to look at it. I love hearing like the terms pop up that I know Brandon remembers too, from like our different research methods class. Cause sometimes when you're in school as students, it's hard to connect those like classes and terms with like the outside uh, professional world. So hearing kind of like those mesh too is, is, is really cool. Um, before we get to our last question, I wanted to ask, uh, are you allowed to do fantasy football or is that like equivalent to like insider trading for like people in banking? I have banned our team from doing it, but I, I'm not sure anybody's listening to me. <laughs> particularly the, particularly the grad students. I don't think they've listened to me, but I personally no longer do fantasy football and I have stated that we should not do it. Um, <laughs> Mostly because if we lose, we're going to just look awful. <laughs> so from that standpoint. That's a very will, fair statement. I will also say that our test does correlate with fantasy uh, with fantasy outcome data. Oh, I just did But it doesn't mean, I, I don't know if we'd win our league off of that. So. You had to start a newsletter, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that's funny. Um, but our last question that we asked all the guests um, are if you have one piece of advice for prospective IO students or students that are currently in the in a program. Yeah, I you know, I think we hit on it actually at the beginning, which is that, you know, you're forming your professional identity when you come into these programs. Um, and you should build a network of people that you want to spend your life working with. You know, uh, Ken Yusko and I, we met in grad school you know, back at Maryland, and we've worked together for, you know, nearly 30 years at this point, um, you know, getting a chance to work together. And, you know, you want to enjoy the things you do. And him and I realized early on that we enjoyed working together on papers and projects and consulting projects. Um, And from there, the other people we've met, like Charles Sherbaum and Elliot Larson, uh, and a number of other people that I probably, you know, would go on forever naming, it's good to kind of meet these people. You enjoy working with them and then go get to go out and do things together. Um, it's really, 
it makes the field fun. It makes it fun for you in terms of your career, and you can still kind of accomplish some really fun things too. You know, so yeah, Joe and I, Joe and I definitely have found that value in like just the New York City area. Like we've we go around and we network with our other fellow students that aren't in our program, and we've we've found that that's been something that's super helpful for us. I was going to yeah. say each other. <laughs> yeah, I was yeah. going to say you are working on this together, but you're you're completely right. And, you know, I spent a couple of years at NYU before I came here and it was great. I met all these people there and met met faculty there. I met students that I still know today, even though I've been here 25 years at Berlin, right? So, you know, it's it. And I was at Bowling Green before that. And I still am close with people I met back then for a couple of years when I was out in the Midwest. So it really is a small field that way in a good way. You know, it's like you can you can really connect with people. Uh, and enjoy the work that you do. And you can still deliver, you know, results and things that really are meaningful. So it's it's a great field that way. Yeah, we, we with this podcast, Joe and I have done that, but we also did all, basically all of our classwork together too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you'll need a break from each other soon. Is that what you're about? Absolutely. Eh, we're, sim- I think we're similar enough and different enough where we don't clash too often. Yeah. Maybe like, you know, once every couple months, I'll just put them on block. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. That's, why that's, a good, that's a good synergy. That's a really good synergy. <laughs> no, it's, it is. it's fun and it's good. I mean, the fact is, is like, Harold, that's great advice because like Joe and I talk about this specifically in relation to like who you're coming up with. Like our cohort is the people around us that like we are working with and when we start going and apply to jobs, like those are going to be the people that we want to like keep in contact with or know so that we can like work with each other moving forward. So it, it's true. Absolutely. I always tell everybody, you know, you're more likely to get a job because of the people surrounding you in class than you are the faculty that's heading the class. You know, I mean, that is your network forever after that. And yeah, totally agree with you 100%. Yeah, we, we heard similar advice from other Astro alumni that said, like, utilize your cohort network. Uh, it could only be helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But yeah, Definitely. thank you, Harold, for telling us all about your, your NFL story, your advice. Uh, it's super cool to hear about the work that you're doing in the IO space. I'm hoping other students can realize what they could do with their degree because it's obviously endless. <laughs> yeah. No, it's fun to talk about. So I really appreciate you all having me on. And I appreciate that you all are doing this endeavor. I mean, I, I think. It's great to get these different stories out to the field. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us, Harold. Thanks. Excellent. So another uh, heavy hitter episode. That was awesome. Like getting to talk sports and IO at the same time. It's literally a dream come true. (laughs) No, exactly. We talk about like data a lot on these podcasts, whether it's like people analytics, but talking about data in sports and how like an IO has a huge impact in that like data collection and analyzation is really cool. Uh, I know me and you like want to kind of <laughs> learn more about it. Maybe I'll have them on for a second episode. Yeah, you know, it's really funny. Like I feel like sports is such an interesting topic to go into because there's so many different ways that it represents life and business. And I think that we touched on a lot of that in this episode for sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see what they do next, like the next like five to 10 years with maybe even different sports or like what we were talking about in the podcast, like more college. Um, I kind of want to see like where they go next. 
Yeah, no, there's, there's so many different avenues to go down. And I think that honestly, like when we were talking about it, it sounds like just the tip of the iceberg. And there's just so many different like places they can look for information and data. But we want to thank you guys for listening with us. Um, I know that this was a little bit longer than most of our episodes, but we love it and we want to have you guys around. So we hope you have a great rest of your week and catch us next week. Yeah, hope you guys liked it. Thank <laughs> you.